Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. On today's episode of Sporting Misadventures, we've got a really special guest, Greg McHugh. Uh, Greg, fellow Scott, is a, a stand-up comic. He's a comedy actor. He's a serious actor, too. He's appeared in uh, many award-winning programmes on TV um, and a star of the stage as well. And he's also incredibly well-known for his comedy character, Gary Tank Commander. And we're delighted to have him on the show today. Yeah, we've been emailing a little bit in the past week, and just off the basis of those emails alone, it should be a very uh, entertaining hour. I mean, the nuggets he just put in that email alone of a sporting theme should 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 hopefully uh, do us justice. I would think. Yeah, we can sit back and uh, enjoy the show. I think ourselves. <laughs> we'll just leave him to it. And we'll sit in the background. So if you don't hear from much of us, I, I wouldn't worry. Hey, Greg, we can hear you. We can't oh, see cool. you. You can't see me. Do you want no, to see no. me? I'd love to see you. Yeah, reveal yourself. Hey. hey. How you doing? I'm good. How are you guys? Good, yeah, thanks. Good. Yeah. Great to see you. Have you, have you met Thank- Matt before? No, I don't think we have, no. No, just exchanging of emails. Uh, very entertaining emails as it happens. Oh, cool. No, good to, good to see you guys. How are you, Chris? Well, yeah, good, thanks. Thank, thanks for returning a favour that I haven't done for you yet. It's all right. It doesn't look like Hong Kong. Where are you? <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, oh, um, yeah. Ah, ooh. Yeah, no, I'm away, away in Hong Kong soon. But yeah, oh, cool. it's, so so Greg got in touch and said, "Can you help me out with uh, this uh, this exciting event?" And I was like, oh, "I'm afraid I'm away. I can't do it." And then I came back and said, uh, "But could you do me? Could you do me a favor? <laughs> if I had done that for you, you would have owed me one. And therefore, can you do this to help me out?" So um, shameless, shameless. Yeah, I know. <laughs> totally. Any response yeah. solicits a favor. I love that idea. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, it's been a while. So the fact that when was the last time? We caught up. Uh, was the last time I saw you on a train when I, when we were on the same train and you bought me a yeah, beef and roll? It might it might well have been. That that was ages ago. So I was I was on Twitter. I was on a train going from Manchester down to London. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I saw I saw Greg was live tweeting his his train journey. Um, <laughs> and then, and I was bands. like, I was like, so so I texted him and said, um, "Oh, you're you're on the same train. We're heading down to London just now." I said, "Where whereabouts are you?" He said, "Oh, I'm in." Coach, whatever. He said, well, I'm in coach, whatever. And, oh, I'll come and find you. And I waited and I waited. He's like, where are you? I said, I'm up at the back. And I'm, all oh, right, okay. You know, 15 minutes later, no luck. And then it, it turns out there's there's more than one train heading from Manchester to London <laughs> at any one time. So you were wandering up and down the carriage <laughs> shouting my name. Hi, Chris, hi. You had a couple of beers by that point, hadn't you? <laughs> no, no way. Not on a not on a Manchester or London journey. That's too short for that kind of those kind of antics. Yeah, I think but, I had. But we had a good bit of a nice little um, bacon roll at Euston Station. But yeah, no, no, that I think it probably was. So that was a, yeah, that was a while back. While back. Um, so how I you know. been? I was. I listened to your your Chatterbox interview with Joe and, and David. Uh-huh. It sounded like lockdown was quite a quite a tough time for you. 
Yeah, I think really, well, it's kind of tough for everyone, but um, yeah, lockdown was uh, yeah just brutal. Trying to those first six months had lots of projects cancelled, and then thankfully things picked up after that. And so I think yeah, I think I chatted to Joe and David about yeah getting an office and trying to make use of that. And uh, but I found writing and trying to create stuff in that period just very very difficult. I mean, some people kind of eased, kind of got used to it, but I, I certainly couldn't get my brain around. I made a short film for the National Theatre Scotland. About the world ending, um, and <laughs> don't really think that was pretty good. Reflect your state of mind at that point. I think, I think when I watch it back, and it's about this guy being—I don't know if you've watched any of the last. I saw it, yeah. But I mean, I think I just—I was in that kind of mind frame of, "Oh my, are we going to get out of this?" Whereas I guarantee, from what I know of you, Chris, is that I bet you weren't thinking that. I bet you were all guns positively blazing. I bet you were. I wasn't. I went nonsense, into that. Nonsense. No. Really? With two young kids trying to do homeschooling and, and just this <laughs> feeling of, I, I have a whole new respect for teachers and what they go through. Oh, yeah, and yeah. It's hard enough with your own kids, but imagine trying to have the patience of dealing with other people's children. But yeah, anyway, there, it was. Oh, but then, but then you you then committed to a, a live Gary Tank Commander show, didn't you? Well, um, that's what I'm doing um, coming up. But the, no, at that stage, I was doing. Well, luckily, in the pandemic, I, we, there was a show, Discovery of Witches, came back. So I had that. And then we, I did I did a show for Joe uh, Wilkinson, the Cockfields. And then Guilt, actually, Guilt Series 2, which I was in, that managed to get on his feet as well during the pandemic. And my goodness, I, I don't know if you saw Guilt, but it's quite dark um, humour. And we shot that in Glasgow in the height of the pandemic. And Glasgow was, like, shut down. So... And I was playing this really weird psychopath. And so the atmosphere of shut uh, lockdown for that was absolutely ideal. Um, you were very convincing. Very oh, convincing thanks. as a psychopath. Well, <laughs> what a great show. I love, I absolutely love Gil. And when I heard that you were going to be in the second series, I was very excited. But oh, yeah, what, what an awesome, awesome thing to be part of. Awesome part of it. And we've just shot series three in, uh, when was that? We finished that in November. Um, and Teddy's got quite a big role to play in that. Um, it's a really big journey for him. So Neil Forsythe, who I think you know Neil a bit, his his scripts are just phenomenal. So um, we didn't have the pandemic to rely on, but I just I got back into Teddy's bleakness quite easily. So, um, <laughs> how do you how do you flip between the serious acting and the comedy acting? You seem to do that relatively seamlessly. Do, do, well. I think I, I made a really conscious decision decision with my agents after Fresh Meat, where I, I suppose met, met Chris. Was um, um, I, I, was, I had a feeling I was going to get stuck in comedy land because I'd done Gary Tankman that was very very broad, um, silly humour, and then Howard that was really quite an uh, odd character. And so after that, I said to my agent, "Look, I don't want to do any more comedy for a bit, even though I love comedy." And so we worked really hard to try and get me into drama rooms because sadly in this country we still. I don't think it's much in America, but in the UK we still see comedy actor so-and-so, straight serious actor so-and-so. So we worked very hard to try and get me seen by um, casting directors and drama. And eventually I got a couple of parts and then got more parts. And so actually really what happened was I separated the two very deliberately. And I think once you've done some drama, you're allowed to do more drama, <laughs> but which is odd. But if you've only done comedy, you're not, really allowed to do drama in the same way. So I had to separate them. And now that I've done a bit, I can kind of go between the two. And it's, I'd, I'd love to think that was I could keep doing that, but it's, sometimes I think people do get confused as to what I do, but I sh you should be able to, to do both. But um, in America, they, they kind of allow you to do both whenever you want. 
in this country, it's still there's a little bit of um, oh, you're you're so and so, you don't get to do the other one. But hopefully, that's that's changing. So, what do you enjoy more, or is it just uh, depending on the situation? Do you know? You have to look at the character. Like, for instance, on Guild, we've got it was quite a small crew. The scripts are phenomenal. The director's brilliant. The atmosphere on set is astoundingly good. Mark Bonner and Jamie and, and Eamon. I just love that job so much because all the actors have a sense of humour. So no matter what you're doing on screen, the job itself is fantastic. But in terms of the acting, I mean, there's no two ways about it. If you're in a good comedy and you're having a laugh, it is, you're laughing all day at your work. Um, whereas in a drama and you have to try and get to maybe some emotional turmoil, it's it's a challenge. But um, you know, filming Tank Commander or, or or Fresh Meat, I mean, there's no two ways about it. In in the way it infects you when you're you know you're you're playing a funny scene, it just brightens your day. It really does. And then if you're in a drama and you're having to think about your your deepest darkest inner self, I think that's slightly as you'd imagine. It's not less enjoyable, but it can make you a bit, makes me really tired. Well, that's <laughs> right. When I came down to, to Fresh Meat, that's where I first mm. met you, wasn't it? I came yeah, it to watch, watch you, you film a day in Manchester. And um, yeah, I can attest to the fact that you guys were having fun. That was, that was a real privilege because I'm a massive fan of Fresh Meat. Um, oh, we were, dead, was... we were dead chuffed. Everyone was dead excited. And then uh, <laughs> turns out you're a comedy buff, though. You're, it's not just Fresh Meat. You knew your. New York onions. Oh, well, do you know what? This is basically just a big um, excuse for for me and Matt to come and meet our, some <laughs> of our comedy comedy heroes and, and you, Greg. You know, <laughs> that's right. I don't but no, it's, it's, it's great fun. It's like you know what? What can we? Well, let's do a podcast. Well, you know, let's let's meet people we find you know we, we enjoy watching on the telly and, and we find funny. Uh-huh. And, yeah, what, what yeah, a privilege! We've manufactured it, so we have to ask you some sporting questions. So there's yes, some sort of yes, free, exactly under under the ruse comedians' brains, but the ruse is you've got to talk about some sport thing. Oh yeah. God, well go for that. I mean, my my knowledge of contemporary sport. I mean, same same as Chris having to. Although my daughter turned uh, six today, so that was quite exciting. Oh, that's cool. Today. Happy birthday! Uh, yeah, happy birthday to Molly on International Women's Day. It's lovely. Um, but I, yeah, I don't, I don't, um, I don't really follow much sport these days. What about you? Love sport. You you played football, didn't you, when you were younger? Or? Yeah, I was obsessed by football. Obsessed, age I think eight, that kind of kicked in. And, uh, and why yeah, was just, that? Was that a family thing, or just mates doing it? Or no, just mates, just at school. Um, my dad, you talk about this. My my fantastic dad, who's such a lovely guy, was not interested in football at all. In fact, into my teen years when I played, he used to stand, he used to take me to the football even though he didn't drive because um, my, my mum drove, but my dad always gave my mum uh, the weekends off because, you know, she'd be working during the week wherever he was, and he'd worked as well during the week. But he took me on the bus and he used to just stand on the sidelines and listen to Radio 4 or Classic FM and I absolutely resented him for it, you know. <laughs> like, I really did. I mean, really, you know, I've got a great relationship with my dad, but I really remember falling out with him one day saying, can you not just go and stand with the other dads and and, and speak, just say something or, or or shout encouragement or something? And he said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And then, of course, when you, later on in life, you reflect on these absolute fucking maniacs screaming. <laughs> <laughs> at their at their kids and I, and you go oh you're right I get it I get it I get it. So it's mad um, how serious some of the parents take sport and and you know I've I've seen oh. that as a child growing up in various um, sports various stages. But equally 
now as a parent, you know, you go oh. and watch your kids doing stuff and you think, I just don't want to be that parent that goes that takes it too seriously and, and makes it all about them. Yeah, totally. And, and I think I struggled with that idea because at the time you buy into those, you kind of buy into the dads, even though they're maniacs that are screaming and, and um, you know, and certainly in Scotland in the, in the 90s, just incredibly openly aggressive at nine-year-old, ten-year-old kids running about a football pitch. So looking back, and I, I respect my dad even more for, for not doing that, but um, yeah, so football was my, uh, certainly I loved playing. I wasn't I wasn't the best player, but, um, you know, at that age, it, it doesn't really matter too much. The, the, the team sport element was just, was, was great. And we had a great PE teacher at school and a good football, a good school team. So that kind of, were you um, really a set position, or did you shift around? Or? Oh, I, I stayed through the middle. So I started as sweeper, um, uh, went to centre half, um, and then eventually, when I got my cardio up, they let me into centre midfield. <laughs> but uh, I think that took about eight years before <laughs> before that happened until my mid-teens. So um, I've always played through the middle, but um, mainly a defender, I'd say. And, and did you I'm have? Always... You talk about the aggro. Oh, sorry, Chris. About that mm. aggro. Did you have any moments like that with? crazy parents or anything like that or did you come out relatively unscathed oh no i mean well relatively unscathed but i did have quite a seat i had um genuinely i had a parent spit on me um after a game uh because he accused me of not being i think i was 12 or 13 because i looked you know puberty kicked in and i i I just became this kind of giant of a of a 12 year old and uh, yeah this guy is as we got to the changing rooms he really confronted me because his son had been sent off for doing like a hip two footer hit challenge on me and was sent off and the dad went absolutely berserk at me like what? really i mean i'll never forget that. i was in lone head i used to play for lone head minors welfare years club um and i was it, it was not a mem- not a dad of my team obviously it was i can't remember who we were playing but yeah he spat on me and that, that was just uh, unbelievable i know it's hard to, it's hard to what even... do you say back i mean you can't really, i mean what do you what do you do back to that I didn't do it. I, I think I really was like so shocked. I'd never seen an adult behave like that. Um, and you've got to ask the question, I mean, what, what place is a, a, a parent, and that's the other thing, or a parent or a carer, I presume he was the parent, what place are you in to spit on, on a kid Unbelievable. After, a, after a kid's football match? I mean, I mean, that's the sort of behaviour they should have been asked to leave and never come back. I mean, there was a guy, there was a guy cycling once who, who screamed, Another so his son got crashed in a race and it's uh-huh. under sixteen like a schoolboy race under sixteens yeah um and his son crashed and there was it was a big bunch race it was one of these things accidents happen mm-hmm. but he took he took it upon himself every lap for the next forty laps to scream he stood on the fence right next to the track as when they came past the, the rider who he thought had caused the crash and knocked his son off he screamed at the top of his voice you Scottish. I won't say the word. Wow. B word the whole way around, every lap to a, to a 15-year-old kid. Really? Um, yeah, every lap. The kid came off the track in tears, like, you know, what have I done? I didn't I didn't, didn't do anything. Why is this man screaming at me? Screaming? Um, I'm not it, even I, Scottish. He was... <laughs> <laughs> it was, honestly, it was, yeah, you just think. And, and it's that's one of these things. Because I would assume that in cycling, there was, you know, you assume that there, you wouldn't encounter that thing but i suppose it doesn't matter is it it's the, it's the person it's the parent it's the attitude it's the personality that takes it too far so in, in your experience was there was there quite a bit of that was there or was that just complete no, no there were there were very very competitive parents very competitive right. and that, that was the thing and i think you see that in 
in all the sports that I've done mm. over the years and living their lives to their kids. All, all we mm -hmm. want is the best for our kids and we're desperately trying to help them. And But it's when you lose sight of that, I think. And, yeah. it's, and it's because it's such a high, you know, being a parent, it's, it's all about emotion, isn't it? And it's hard not to get dragged into it. But yeah, I've got a lot of respect for like my, trying to be like my mum and dad and do gave me opportunities and supported me mm -hmm. and gave me the chances, but then always sort of stepped back and never, never overstepped the mark when it came yeah, to, yeah. to being a competitive or a, a, too much of a sporting dad. No, it's interesting because mm -hmm. my, my little boy's not into football at all. Um, and and we he tried it, but wasn't into it. But even at the kind of early stages of chatting to some of the other dads at these little training sessions and, you know, just their focus and kind of shouting, even, even at training kind of, um, things that I thought that time had passed you know I thought mm. but of course no that's not passed it's like um, anyway yeah being it spat on yeah tough. it feels as though parents now it's almost the panic of I'm being a bad parent if I don't give my kids the best chance you know mm -hmm. what, what we need to get them the right you know coaching or missing out on yeah. this club or missing out on um, you know what kind of what's the diet what should they be eating you know they're eight oh, years yeah. old. Just let them eat. You know, just give them a balanced diet, and yeah, or totally. whatever it is. I get parents coming up to me asking about their kids who they want to go to the Olympics, and and you sort of wow. the kids stand there looking looking around, just kind of like you know not that fast. And it's uh -huh. clear the child doesn't want to go to the Olympics. The the mum or dad wants their child to go to the Olympics. Wow, that's so what they're, they're looking so they're like, far ahead. Yeah. Oh my, that's unbelievable. They're they're already thinking well. You know, I'm a bit worried because he's already nine and he's not, you know, done this or done that or, you know, is it too late for them? And it's like, <laughs> do you know, if you one thing is for sure, if you put that amount of pressure on your child, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna resent the sport, they're gonna resent you, and they're not gonna do it when they're older. So keep it fun, you know, let them enjoy yeah. it and make it yeah, just, make it their passion, make it something they want to do and, and see how they go. Yeah, I think that, I, I mean, I was never asking my mom and dad when I could go to the Olympics. That was, <laughs> absolutely, that was not in my vocab as a kid. And, and thankfully, yeah, my mom and dad were not. Now, that is insane that you would have people looking that far ahead for their kids. Mm. But no, that, they, that, that wasn't it. We had a great PE teacher, I have to say, who, who was very level-headed and had played or had coached at a kind of a good level with hearts and stuff. So he, he was a brilliant um, guy that... that that really kind of kept us away from parents sometimes as well, actually. He was very good at that. He'd, I remember a slight issue started to arise with one of the dads who's still a dear a dear friend of his son and I are still friends, even though we, we went we started school at five together and then played at the same football clubs, then went to uni together. So I've known him a long time, but um, Mr. Demianchuk, Alex Demianchuk's dad, used to bring in the winter, um, you know, like... <laughs> Uh, the Ukrainian family, a fantastic family, and they were—they always had lots of food, like donut. They would bring homemade donuts to the games, and it got to, and and you know in the winter and uh, hot ribena and stuff. And it got to the point where we were just running over to Ali's dad for all these snacks, and the and the and the coach was like, "No, not at halftime. You run to me, and we talk about the game." But it's such a fond memory. That sounds um, better than than oranges cut into quarters, doesn't it? That's oh, donuts absolutely. and hot ribena. This was a feast, except everyone was falling asleep in the second half. Some <laughs> <laughs> little lie down. The, the crash was enormous, but um, no, that's a fond, that's a very fond memory. So, how, how far did you take your football? I mean, you, how, how long did you continue doing it, and and what was your what was your highlight? Um, well, I have to say one of the contrasting highlights was well, I started at eight, and then uh, kind of knocking about, and then there was school teams, and then when I got to secondary, we we played in this decent school team, and then I got. 
approached by a, a couple of local clubs um, and I, I played for, for clubs outside. It's not professional clubs, you know, like boys clubs. Um, but one, Glen Park was one of them and, and Bonehead uh, was another. You know, you play on a on a Sunday morning, you know, play for the school on a Saturday and uh, play for their, uh, the club on the Sunday. But one of the highlights that sadly went quite wrong for me was um, the school team, can't remember what under this was, maybe under 14s or something like that, 15s. We got to the semi-final of the Scottish Cup, and we we this was quite a big deal for the wow. school and all the rest of it. And we travelled to a stadium, a small stadium. I can't remember which stadium it was. All my school pals would be like, "Oh, you idiot!" Yeah, it was so, so. But anyway, but there was a school coach put on, right? So adults were encouraged to come as well, support the team. Um, I think it was East Stirling or East uh, Dunbarnshire. Anyway, it doesn't matter where the stadium was. But the point was, uh, quite a few parents had travelled to the semi-final really keen for us to get to the final and in the game i'll always remember this it was there was a it had one of these keepers these goalkeepers that could kick the ball you know like a million miles in the sky sometimes you just have these have these guys with immense strength at that age and he kicked a huge goal kick out and i was center half and i i went to volley it off his kick and I misjudged it, and it bounced under and up into the nether regions. And I was oh, no. absolutely like, I was, that was me. I knew it was. I, I was not recovering from this level oh, of impact, no. right? And the worst thing was, of course, that this was the one game where all the parents had travelled. You know, this <laughs> like in a, in any other realm of playing, you wouldn't have had an away an away crowd of parents. And I, I was just bent over, and I just couldn't. Get, you can continue in the game. Oh no! Yeah, it was not. It was not. I kind of get up and fight. So I think it was just all the Oh dear! Are they being sympathetic at this point? No, they were laughing. This is. <laughs> <laughs> I was in an inner city Edinburgh school. Um, <laughs> not like Mister Watsonians here. I was, I was at Saint. I was at Saint Tam's, Matt, which is a different kettle of fish. And um, it was just people laughing in the crowds. And of course, to this day, I still see someone that I bump into that. If I see them in the pub, they remind me of that. So that was a kind of cr- literally a crushing, a crushing personal <laughs> oh, defeat um, for that semi-final. So it, obviously not not quite the career highs and lows a bit of, of of you, Chris. But for me, that one all, you know, to get to play in a stadium and 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 for that to, that, that was my ending. So there we go. Well, I've, I've definitely crushed my nether regions at, at times in my career. So don't worry, we've, we've all been there. I, I know we've all crossed bars on bikes and all sorts. Oh yeah. God, I can't imagine. Yeah. Was it a walk of shame to the touchline then? And then oh, it was. Embarrassed with the parents and, oh, just, just the ground to swallow you up. Just swallow me up. Absolutely horrible. Also couldn't play, couldn't help the team. So it's it's funny, isn't it, how these things really do, they're not serious events, but they, you, me, you remember those moments like so clearly. The shame, parents having a giggle, your teammates going, what the? Get up, get on with it, and you know you might try, and then you're just you're literally incapacitated. It's a it's, it's, it's a pain we we all know. But um, I was once racing a BMX race when I was a, a I don't know it must have been about nine or ten. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was in Stockport, and in BMX racing you have lanes that for the first like thirty meters you've got to stay in your lane before you can then take your right. choose your lane. Uh-huh. And um, as there, there's like a line a, a lane judge that stands at the bottom of the start hill and makes sure you stay within your lanes. Yeah. And he stands up his little flag. And um, anyway, as we came to the bottom of the, the, the end of the lanes, the guy next to me cut across, knocked into me. Yeah. They both tangled and I crashed. My bike went through the air and it, it 
hit this this poor line judge right between the legs. Oh my god! So so I'm lying there on the ground, all skinned up and crying because you know I've lost a race and I'm in uh-huh. pain and and wondering why the St John's ambulance guy hasn't come straight to me. <laughs> and there's a little crowd around this <laughs> this poor guy who had to go in the hospital. Had to go jump in the ambulance and take him off the hospital to get checked out because it was. Oh my- God. So I, was like, I, felt, I never felt so bad. At the time, I was like, come on, why am I not getting some attention here? Well, and then my dad, my, dad yeah. came, my dad came over and said, no, the guy was actually quite badly hurt because of your bike. He just like, wiped him out. You wee BMX yeah. bandit. Oh yeah, my I God, know, well, I know. No, I'd rather a football than a full-on BMX. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> catapulted yeah. at me. He, he was okay. I did check he was okay. He so did. Right, You've got to see that now. You don't know that. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I mean, he couldn't have kids or anything, but apart from that, no, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Well, that's a risk you take at that level. Well, exactly. Um, the cut oh, thrust of man. kids' BMX racing. Totally. So, where did your football take you then? How, how far? You know, when you finished football, did you have you played much? Do you still play for fun? Do you? Is it something you, you get the chance to do? No, I mean, not now. I broke my ankle and my, my leg quite badly about six years ago. But prior to that, I, I did have the opportunity, which was amazing, to play at uh, Parkhead. My uh, granddad was a season ticket holder there. Um, that's at Celtic Park and um, my mate uh, Martin Compton who's heavily involved in Celtic I have always kind of drifted in and out of supporting teams but um, Martin asked if I want to play in a charity match against Rio Ferdinand's Select 11 Uh, Paul McStay's Select 11 versus Rio Ferdinand's Select 11 so I I got to play in that game and I mean that was like I think there was maybe 20-30 thousand people in that crowd so of course I was just reliving that um, Scottish Cup semi-final under 15s hoping no one um, kicked me right in the, the, the so-and-so so, um, but that was an ast- I was just incredible because before the game um, you meet quite early so they put on food for you I don't know if this is a regular thing but they put on food for you so we, you're, you're asked you're picked up in, in this coach or you go and meet the coach and then the coach drives into Celtic Park and all the fans are waiting there and that's slightly chubby guy gets off myself and you walk in and the crowd goes, who's that? And then you walk up and have, um, yeah, kind of light brunchy breakfasty thing. So uh, Martin hadn't arrived yet. So I'm there on my own. Uh, but the Rio Ferdinand's team had arrived. And I'm not joking, in the queue to get some beans on toast or whatever it was, I've got Gianfranco Zola in front of me. <laughs> There's like Dwight York there, Paul Scholes. It was the most surreal the most amazingly, you know, like heroes, absolute wow. heroes growing up watching these players. And Rio Ferdinand was there, obviously, astounding footballer. And I sit down at this table and then some of the players come and join me and they'd see me in various TV shows and asking me about, uh, you know, what's it like to film? And I'm like, what are you asking this for? This is so boring. <laughs> this is so boring. I want to ask you about, you know, football and games and, and all the rest of it. So I got to sit opposite these heroes and have a casual chat, which I'll never forget. And hearing how a lot of them who are retired now play in these pro-am golf tournaments around the world, which sounds absolutely amazing. Um, and then I got to, I got, I think, about a 10, 15-minute spell on the pitch uh, where I skinned Gianfranco Zola, of course. No. Everyone will know. Everyone. I mean, I'm surprised this isn't just talked about daily through. <laughs> um, quite frankly, um, Martin will contest this, but I did actually skin him a little bit. I that think is part amazing. Of it, well, I, I think... Um, you know, dispossessed him and did a drag back and played the ball out wide. Uh, that's how I remember it. Very quick, <laughs> very quick feet. Um, <laughs> Celtic TV, I think, actually captured the moment um, when they filmed the games. And they interviewed me after the game saying, oh, how does it feel to have skin uh, Jim Crankle Zola? So that was, 
I mean, you can't. I mean, in terms of highlights, that's pretty high. Don't pretend you haven't got a clip of that hidden away somewhere that you watch on a daily basis. Come on. <laughs> you know, I don't think I have it. Oh, come on. I, meant, I always meant to get it, but I think the reality is it's better in my head how I replay that moment um, than the reality of uh, Gianfranco Zola just looking on at this big glumping uh, former centre-half thinking, oh, I just don't want to injure myself even after retirement. Uh, just let him take, <laughs> let him take the ball. I would have substituted myself instantly. You know, that was it. I could retire happy there. An actual mic drop on the pitch. <laughs> yeah. Get me out here. Nothing could surpass that. But yeah, those moments are, you know, so lucky with what I do, I suppose. I've, I've, you get these little perks. and um, But they mean a huge amount, I suppose. With any, you know, I don't know what it's like for, for you, Matt, or, or Chris on the opposite side of what you do for a living, but I can only presume there's certain things that would you'd be so excited to do, and certainly for me, getting to play in that game was ah oh, just joy, absolute joy. It's amazing the the doors that open, you know, when you if you if you have a bit of success in your chosen field, and and I think that's it's meeting your childhood heroes or doing things that you never dreamt you that you thought were possible. Like for me, I got to take the match ball out at Murrayfield when Scotland were playing the All Blacks. Wow! And, and I was so pumped up, like when I went out in the field. I was so fired. I felt like I was going out to play play a game for Scotland because yeah. when I grew up, when I when I was a kid, you know, it wasn't cycling that I dreamt of doing. It was I wanted to captain Scotland at rugby. That was my oh, dream. Was it? And um, yeah, Gavin Hastings was my hero. I wanted to be like Gavin Hastings. So it was the thought of you know getting to, to walk out uh-huh. on the pitch and they they'd given me a special. I felt like you know one of these mascots, little kids. You know, <laughs> I, got, I got the jersey with my name in the back and you'd um, won the competition. I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, came out with the ball and. And the All Blacks had just done the hacker, so that there was this incredible, you know, atmosphere. Oh. Walked out, and they were trying to think of something to just distract and diffuse that whole thing. Um, not that my appearance was going to have any impact at all on the <laughs> on the mighty All Blacks. Um, but yeah, walked out, got a nice big cheer, and I was just, I was, and I spoke to one of the players. I think it was, um, I've forgotten who it was. It was a Chris Patterson, maybe. He said, "Oh, you look, you <laughs> should be getting on at this." <laughs> Get, get him on for five minutes. He looks pretty fired up here. He looks like he could play, <laughs> play a good five minutes. But um, yeah, it was, you know, that, that was a moment where I remember thinking, how what on earth? Like how on earth did I? Oh, just, just amazing. And, and you feel so, you know, out of, not out of place, but just, you just feel so lucky that you are able to experience yeah. something that you never thought you would ever get the chance to do. And it's, no, yeah, it's, 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 you've got to take these opportunities. Yeah, you absolutely do. I remember feeling nervous on the day and then you're going, what are you feeling nervous for? It's a charity game. Just go and try and it's that sport thing of yeah, trying trying to achieve or when you were younger wanting to do well. And I remember just thinking, no, 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 try your hardest to soak this up because it's not going to happen regularly or, or or again. In fact, I've not I've not played not that not that I mind at all. I think I'm quite happy. As I say, I don't know if I mentioned this skin Zola, so uh, I think I'm quite happy. <laughs> quite happy about that as my final game I played. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I've got a theory that, that being a, a stand-up comic or, or performing live, doing live shows... There's, there's definite parallels between that and being a, a sports person. But, you know, I've seen you prior to this. We, we did that event for Edith Bowman um, mm. a couple of years ago in Dunfermline. You were doing Guy Tank Commander. Yeah. Um, Edith was just asking me a few questions about like a charity event. But seeing a, a room full of people or, a, you know, a, a, a theatre full of people and the, the moments before where you're getting yourself in the zone, you're switching into your character, you're getting ready, you're running through... And you hadn't done Gary for a while, had you? You hadn't done like a no, live show. Ages, yeah, yeah. And you were, you know, you were sort of getting yourself ready for it. And it, but it was like there was a switch in your head. I could just see you suddenly becoming Gary, and then walking out on stage, and it was just like bang. And and obviously some of it is planned. You, you know what you're going to say, but it's the interaction with the audience. It was you were just walking down, and it was just it was amazing to watch. And it, you know, I, I, there's got to be some sort of a similar mental approach. To, to going on stage and performing live and the, the adrenaline, using the adrenaline, switching in mentally to being a sports person and getting ready for, for a big match or a big race. Yes, I can only presume there is, not ever having played sport or, or performed at anything like your level or close to it, but certainly the adrenaline and controlling the adrenaline, because sometimes it's not as simple as going out and you've, you've got to watch how much energy you use because sometimes it can look desperate or you can look like you're needing too much from the audience, but there's definitely that um, unavoidable swell of I need, to, I need to do the best I can. Um, and sometimes I think in sport or when I used to play, you can kind of take that onto the pitch or physically, but sometimes you need to push against it a bit as well as you've got all this, but don't don't use all of it. But your brain certainly starts to go into different places as if you get heckled or you... Um, you know, you have to react to that. And in, in, ter- in terms of doing theatre, I suppose that's a different thing again, is that you need to stick to the script and you need to do, um, you know, what is technically absolutely rehearsed and required of you. But at the same time, that uh, what comes over you in terms of performance, I suppose that's why it's called performance, isn't it? I suppose sport is a performance and mm. acting is energy and adrenaline, but um, those outlets and how you control them, I suppose, are, well, mind you, I suppose you need to control how you race, isn't it? You can't go, well, I mean, I know you're going to go out full sprint, but I presume you're not using all of your energy in that. Yeah, in yeah, that it's, it's, that's, that's, it's true. And it, a lot of it is about um, using emotion to a point, but also trying to contain it. Because emotion, when you're emotional, you make decisions at the last second that can be unpredictable. Ah, right. So you're trying to almost be on autopilot um, and follow that script, if you like, that you're planning yeah, yeah. to do. But but use the emotion, use the energy of the crowd, use your own excitement, your your adrenaline to get the best out of yourself. But but it's a fine line, and um, yeah, totally, yeah, I guess- it is a fine line. Yeah, because if you let, well, certainly in acting terms and comedy terms, if you let the adrenaline take over, it it actually blocks you down. So you have mm. to breathe, you have to find it. So I presume that's quite similar. I mean, it's interesting you saying that 
you went out against the All Blacks. I think it's a glaring error that Gary Tank Commander didn't go out against the All Blacks because that <laughs> they wouldn't have known what to do. With, uh, <laughs> Lusted them a bit, confused them. Gary, Gary facing them. But um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, said, I don't know. I suppose there are maybe parallels of that. And I suppose in industry terms, there must be parallels of, you know, being on your own. You know, I'm a freelancer. I don't, I don't know if there's parallels there as well. I don't know. You know, Matt, Matt are you are you freelance as well? Are you salaried or no? So I'm employed by the Evening Standard, but I, I was freelance for ten years before that. So I've done I've done both. So yeah, you so know exactly both yeah. sides of it. Yeah, yeah. And how, what do you prefer out of the two now? Well, now that you're employed, you can't say. But um... <laughs> I very much enjoy working for the Evening Standard. I wanted to uh, U-turn and deflect from myself there and, and mention mm. Gary Tank Commander because you said he'd be great against the All Blacks or running out there, but he has had some sporting prowess on the tennis court with some um, oh. high-profile players. Is that right? Well, again, Chris saying that the, the doors that open are, are the perks of the job. Yeah, I was I was asked to perform at a UNICEF gig um, at the Hydro in Glasgow, the venue where we actually um, played Gary Tank Commander as well. Um, to do a charity tennis match, which had Andy Murray, Jamie Murray, and Tim Henman. And I, at that stage, that's when I'd broken my ankle, actually. So I was in recovery phase. So I couldn't really move the ankle uh, terribly well. But I wasn't going to give up this opportunity to physically be on a court with Andy Murray and Tim, Tim Henman and um, Jamie Murray, Andy Murray. And um, it was so it was so utterly surreal in every way because I'm a massive tennis fan. I'm a huge fan, of course, of, of Andy Murray. And before it, Tim Henman, of course, well, I say of course, but, uh, you know, Gary wasn't huge in, in England, I suppose it was mainly shown in Scotland. But somebody said, look, it might be just worth mentioning to Tim uh, who, the, who the character is. And I was like, well, what's, what's Tim like? Is that, should, should I just go up to him? Or, you know, you never know how people operate. And they're like, no, no Tim, Tim's absolutely lovely. Just say, oh, hi, Tim, I'm so-and-so, and this is what I'll be doing on core in case it's confusing. And I was like, right, cool. So I, I, I mean, oh man, reliving these things. So, so I went up to Tim Henman and I said, oh, Tim, just, hi, Greg, hello. Um, I'm going to be doing this character or behaving like this character on court. And he's like, all right, yeah, yeah. Um, what, who's the character? And I'm like, oh, this is uh, Gary Tank Commander. He's, um, he's, uh, <laughs> you're, trying, you're trying to explain who Gary, <laughs> Gary Tank Commander is. Someone who doesn't never, never heard of it. <laughs> doesn't know it and I'm like well he's this um he's this camp tank commander and he's he's in the army and Tim's like okay <laughs> and I was just, just I had nowhere to go you know I'm nervous enough even going up to him so but he was lovely and um he said yeah yeah just go for your life just do what you want and I don't know what impression he was left with after I'd basically just arsed about in the court whereas what I wanted to do was get in court and be me and trying to hit a proper ball or this bit, but um, that was lovely. Although I embarrassed myself horribly after the game uh, with Andy Murray, he came up to me and said, "Thanks so much for doing that. Really good of you." Uh, and I honestly, you know, I can talk to anyone. I would say I could be on set with Robert De Niro and enjoy it and love it. I could honestly work with anyone. Name like dropper. That. Name well, dropper. well, well, who? I, I've not worked with him. Yeah. Oh, I thought you. <laughs> Oh, no. I see. I thought no. you, you know, I've worked on Sir, De Niro and... Uh, no, Chino no, 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 right, no, no, I haven't. I wish I had. In fact, Robert, <laughs> if you're listening... Um, he, he is a fan of the show, yes. So, uh. <laughs> I bet he's a massive fan of the show. <laughs> um, anyway, so, so Andy came up and said, thanks so much for doing this. 
And I just couldn't really say anything. I was so nervous. And then eventually the only thing I got out of my mouth was, Andy, I cried when you won Wimbledon. No. He didn't know what to say after that, of course. So it was just a very awkward moment. We all did, though. We all did. Oh, you couldn't know. Could you? Do you remember where you were? I, I was in Manchester. I was there. I was there. Oh, you're was kidding. Were you? Yeah. Where are you, Matt? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you. I, I'm wow. saying that's probably my all-time favourite sporting moment that I've seen live. Is it? It was, you just felt everything was perfect. It was that one of those days you could feel this, this was, I mean, at the risk of sounding a bit cheesy about it, it felt like history was being made, that oh, this was yeah. the time. Um, and I was very, very fortunate. I was sitting with his family um, in, oh, the, yeah. in the, yeah, sitting next to Judy and the coaches and all the people, you know, all his, all his close entourage. Oh, and yeah. that was, it was one of the, yeah, one of the most incredible sporting events to, to be, witness to and yeah just that, that tension because it's not it's not even like a, a football match where it's 90 minutes or even you know extra time whatever but no. you know that the final whistle is going to go and if you're leading then you've won you know he still had to get that get it over the line he still had to win yeah. and every time it came to match point you're sitting there holding your breath and thinking is this it and oh, the, the yeah. tension because you never know when it's going to end and finally you know when he did it it was just yeah oh, it was, it was incredible it was. I, I remember I was in Manchester on my balcony watching it because the flat was too hot. It was a heat wave. And, um, yeah, we were fil- oh, well, weren't filming that day, but, um, yeah, just being, just screaming, screaming like a mad football dad at the TV. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> just, like, crying my eyes out. I've never, I'd never done that for any sporting thing, any football match or Scotland. Well, never, well, you cry in a different way, you watch Scotland. But, <laughs> um, I'd, yeah, I'd never done that. I'd never had that absolutely overwhelming. Oh, it's it's, it's happened. It's absolutely happened. For, for me, it was the first time I'd ever covered Wimbledon for the Evening Standard, and was it the guy who normally did that? I think was off doing Lions Rugby Tour. I think it was. I think it coincided with that. And so I was sitting on court, centre court. I've got my own seat for the sort of two weeks, and then I'm watching Andy Murray win Wimbledon, and at the end he turns round and he cheers to the press people, I don't know if he's someone specifically or whatever. Undoubtedly. I don't think he had a clue. And I just couldn't believe it. It was so cool. And I, it's interesting you say about the tense nature of the match, but I always felt like he had that, that match in control the whole time. And it just played brilliantly. And even despite the enormity of the occasion and the mm-hmm. nerves, the pressure, the expectation, you could feel that he just seemed just so much the better player that day. Um, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Great experience. Yeah, I know what you mean. I just remember it taking longer than I thought. It was a few match points, I recall. Mm. And I thought it was going to slip by. And then when it didn't, it just, as you say, history, like, changing. I mean, mm. he went from the best Scottish player to the best British player. And that's when you know, isn't it? That, that. <laughs> I was, <laughs> here's, here's a name drop for you. I was, oh, yeah. I was at Wimbledon um, the first time that Andy played, or the first year he played. And I got invited to the Royal Box. And I... Um, oh watched you know this young 18 year old lad from scotland playing he got it was five setter i think he was playing was it now bandian possibly he lost in five oh, sets really? he, was, he was like two i think he was two love up and then then lost in five sets just the fatigue kicked in and it was about oh. it was amazing he battled to the very last moment and you could see just that that hunger that he had the, the drive the aggression everything but yeah. sean connery was there that day and um and he was he was cheering cheering on from come on murray and uh 
Anyway, I got you know you get you get allocated at lunch. You just that was my Sean Connery impression. By <laughs> um, but no, um, no, I like the way we, you we resisted doing the obvious. I love that. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't go for the anyway. What time did um, they arrive at? <laughs> <laughs> go on, you can do it. No, but um, yeah. So we basically ended up having lunch with them. So there's tables of four, and you just as you you come in off the after watching the match, you come into into the the royal box area or the hospitality area. Mm-hmm. And just in the random order you come, it's like you know you get allocated a seat. And we sat down next to him and his wife, and it was I was just like kind of <laughs> trying trying to make conversation. But well, this, that's it. What do you start well, with? Oh, um, well, I did my impersonation of him, obviously. First of all, <laughs> quite uh, right. You and well, I, 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 I can't remember. I can't remember. Um, it was it was just surreal. But um, yeah, there's, you didn't there's ask a few... him about the outtake from. Um... Nicholas Cage film. Oh, The Rock. Oh, The, the Rock. Rock. Have you ever seen the, the outtake Rock? of him no. in, in the lift? No. Right. Well, I can't see it. All oh, right. Okay. I, I, that's <laughs> what I would have asked him about. There's an outtake of him <laughs> filming, and it's it is explosive, but it's oh, very really? funny. Oh, it's oh, right. very funny though. Yeah, it's not what oh, you well. expect from. That's um, why I'm doing after we've uh, finished chatting here. <laughs> chat out. Well, but no, yeah. as you say, though, that's, I mean, that's, to see it live, I can't imagine the atmosphere in that court and, oh, my word, amazing. Yeah. Imagine experiencing that. And, and, you know, there's something about the about centre court at Wimbledon as well, just it's such a gladiatorial atmosphere and arena. and, and Totally. And all the anticipation every every time. I guess it's a bit like, I don't know, the England football team every time, every, you know, every four years at the World Cup. And yeah, for some reason, the media just, expect them to win or to you know hype it up and this is the time it's going to happen and and you know every time it doesn't happen it creates even more pressure and well that's it matt why do you keep doing that why yeah it's all your that? fault i just uh, well I, I was going to say that um without being rude to chris or present company ex- accepted but, but <laughs> andy murray must go down pretty much as my um favorite sportsman a- alongside chris because i just I thought you're gonna say favorite scotsman <laughs> but maybe that yeah. as well yeah I just yeah, think he, cheers, just, cheers. Yeah. I think he's, he's brilliant for what he's done, but actually how yeah. nice a guy. But again, like like you, Chris, just really down to earth. Like he very nicely. Too late, now. First, Too year, late. The first year he won Wimbledon. I'd done an interview beforehand, and I'd asked him how um, I could get my son to go to tennis class because he wasn't going to um, his tennis class, and it was just sort of you know this is the end of the interview and just sort of rattling along different sort of conversation. And anyway, at the end of Wimbledon, he took my notepad and wrote. Dear Freddie, go to tennis class, Andy Murray, which I love. Oh. So my son still plays tennis to this day. So that's, what What are we, what was that, 2013? Wow. So 10 years on. So he's been going wow. to tennis since, since that point. But uh, yeah, I mean, everyone has nice stories to tell him about him. He just seems a lovely, level-headed guy. I really like the family. The mum, I never met the dad, but the mum seems lovely. And, you know, she's got amazing human beings in those two boys. Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's fantastic as well how... You know, there was a spell where there was this really weak line of inquiry where, oh, he's not a big personality or he's he's not the most media friendly, but he's just stuck to his absolute guns of who he is. But he's also Mm. used his position, you know, to speak openly about problems in the circuit and promoting women's tennis and, you know, correcting journalists, you know, over the, I can't remember the exact conversation about who was the first to get to a number of finals or win competitions. You know, he's used these powers for good, not evil, as opposed to some other slightly, we're not going to, but, you know, <laughs> other players that we know exactly who we're talking about. Um, 
Well, I just absolutely respect that. Yeah, he, he. I don't know him, but he seems like a, a fantastic individual, and an, an, an absolute example. And I'm terrified of when he's going to say he might be stopping, but it doesn't look like he is yet, which is amazing. Mm. So, still, a bit of he started the year pretty well. He was looking mm. great, but let's hope, hope the body holds up. Well, it's just a sign. It's a sign that he still enjoys it. It's a sign that he loves the sport, mm-hmm. and, and that's always shone through. I think his passion for the game and. You know, you, you get in your early or late teens, early 20s, becoming a, a big success and all the money that comes away and the fame and everything yeah. else. He never got distracted. He never he never lost his way and, and just always had that desire to win a Grand Slam and to win Wimbledon. And totally. Yeah, it's just, yeah, I've got huge admiration for him and I would totally agree. I would say he's our, our greatest ever sports person. What about you, Chris? Did you, I can't remember the lead up to your retiring. Did you always know you were retiring and was there a moment that you, you knew you couldn't do it anymore or, you, or you, because you reached that high at the Olympics there, that was the sort of obvious end or? Yeah, I, I was really hanging on for London, really. That was that was the kind of quite an ambitious target to be, I was 36 in London, so trying to hang on to be at my best age 36 was um, it wasn't impossible, but no one had done it before, so that was a, a big challenge. And when I got to London and, and it was successful, I, I didn't I, mean, I didn't do a retirement, I didn't do a Steve Redgrave and go, that's it, I'm out. And I thought I'll give myself some time, have a break, then get back into training. And it was more just my, my body was kind of waving the white flag saying, do you know what, I can, you can't keep doing this because in terms of picking up injuries and just recovery, it wasn't it wasn't working. So... There was the possibility of making it to Glasgow for the 2014 Commonwealth Games, and I just felt like I wouldn't be at my best there, and I would be taking away a place from another rider. And it was, you know, I didn't want to turn up and just make up the numbers. I would only want to go if I had a chance of of doing well and doing doing the place justice. So, um, in the end, it was great because I got to go and be a fan and go and see all the other sports. And with it being a home a home games in Glasgow, it was a yeah, a wonderful experience from a completely different perspective. And see, with a decision of that magnitude, is it is it ultimately? I mean, ultimately, it must be your decision. But do you talk that through with a lot of people, or did you kind of just come to that decision on your own? I, I, you know, I, most of it was just me and Sarah just in chatting about it, and you know when the time is right. But it's it's not a privilege many athletes get to be able to choose when to retire usually uh, the decision's made for you usually you just you stop performing at the top level you get dropped from the team or you pick up an injury and that's the end of your you know you're, you're kind of uh-huh. it's a career-ending injury um so to be able to choose when to finish and to go out on the top on top as well to finish with a a win because when you win you think yeah well just keep this going i'll do one more yeah, just yeah. one more one more and then and then you don't and then you think well I'll, do I go again and try and make up for it, or do you, you know? And then before you know it, you're years into a decline of, of uh-huh. not being successful, and, and not that it would take the shine off of your career, but I think it's for me, it was it was wonderful to have experienced the home Olympics and then to yeah. to finish on a high and to have that as your last big event. It's amazing. I remember you when we when we first met, and I was asking you about because you had such an encyclopedic knowledge of, of so many great shows and you really knew the ins and outs and the characters and the best episodes right and i was i remember <laughs> asking you no but uh, no because my knowledge is, is so poor it's my <laughs> job now and i don't care about other shows um but uh, i said how do you know about all of these comedies and all the and all these specific storylines i mean i i'm obsessed because it's what i've come on to do 
But um, and you were like, well, box sets in my room when I'm away in training because you know you don't go to the pub. And I was like, mm. oh my god, of course you don't. It's yeah. the discipline of staying at that level. It was like you can't go arrive at a hotel and go, well, I'll nip down and have a couple of pints. Whereas you know, where I'm filming, that's where my heart's at. You know, but um, <laughs> with a script, any director's listening. Um, <laughs> uh, but that that level of discipline to train over that, that amount le- of time just blows my mind. That blows level mind. of discipline to watch DVDs over and over on repeat, it's, you know. Wow. It was um, it was one of the things we had to do when we had a, one of our teammates, um, a young lad called Phil Hines, and his, his parents were British, moved across to Germany for work, and then Phil had been born and raised in Germany, so um, spoke great English, but didn't know much about British comedy. So <laughs> when he joined the team, that was, we had this sort of, uh, there's the DVDs. Uh, you get started with those, and uh, you got to learn our, our humour and our, our comedy. I'll be the same Good, this looks amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, comedy is a great way just to switch off and, and to yeah. If you've been training hard all day, you just want you want something light, you want something funny, something that's gonna. You know, so what you're saying is me. basically that kind of in a way I've helped you be so successful in, in the gold medals because I was in fresh meat and that that yeah. helped you. So I would I'm, say you probably do at least two out of the six goals, I would say. Maybe three. Great. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I look forward to receiving them in the post now that you publicly <laughs> said that. <laughs> One story that we haven't managed to do yet, because you mentioned Martin Compton earlier, but mm. you could tell it, and I'm sure you've told it, or certainly actually he's told it, I don't know whether you've told it on... Well, it's the, the story goes that you're responsible for derailing him missing training with Jose Marine. Is it? Is that? That's. I've, I've slightly bastardised and reduced that version of the story. Maybe you no, tell it. I think that's fairly accurate. To be fair, <laughs> um, I mean this is this is clangertastic name dropping, um, and I don't even feel cool saying this anymore because I'm sure Paul Natini, if he ever hears this, goes, "Oh, why is he saying that?" But um, <laughs> I bumped into Paul Natini in, in London one day before I was due to to fly out to America the next morning to pitch Gary Tank Commander to the American market, right? It was a big deal. And um, Paolo, who I didn't know terribly well, but enough to chat to and, and speak, said, oh, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah. I said, oh, I'm doing good. He said, what are you up to tonight? I said, oh, nothing tonight, because I'm flying very early in the morning to go out and pitch this, this, pitch this show to execs in LA. Um, although it wasn't on the first day. Let, let me make that clear. It was not on the first day. Um, <laughs> And he said, well, look, I've got two spare tickets for a gig tonight. And I'm like, oh, I'd love to bet. I said, who is it? And he went, Prince. And I said, what? <laughs> and he said, Prince, private gig. Prince is playing a private gig at the Hippodrome, 130 people. And I was like, oh, you're kidding me. And so, of course, I couldn't turn it down. And then, because he had two tickets, he said, oh, should we get comps tonight? And I said, well, we can try, but he's he's under lock and key at um I think they were I think the camp was at Chelsea. Um and so we phoned Martin. I don't even think he was meant to have a mobile on him, I think it was when I, it's like jail time. <laughs> and uh, anyway, we got through to Martin and said, Look, um, Paolo's got these tickets for, for, for Prince George, what make it? And Martin was like, Oh man, I'll get it. I'll, you're not we're not allowed to leave the camp. But Martin snuck out. He actually jumped the fence or whatever it took to get himself out, met us in town, and we went to see Prince at this gig, and it was the most. He played everything. He played every hit to this 130, 40 people in this room. And, of course, I'll never forget it. 
but it was a bit of a long evening in the end. And so I almost <laughs> missed my flight the next morning to LA. But the, the, the upside of it was that uh, I'd been out so late that uh, I slept all the way on the plane and so didn't get jet lag. So it actually Perfect. worked for me. It was it actually worked out. But yeah, that that is true that we did slightly curtail Martin's um but he's a decent footballer, so he and he's he's quite fit so he could cope with that. But that was years ago, that was uh the madness years. But no, that was an astounding night. What a, what a privilege though to see Prince oh. playing in such a, a intimate game. That's yeah. Unforgettable. Unfin- never saw him live, but yeah, that would be that'd no. be up there. And I managed not to say to him that I cried when he played. No, I <laughs> I got some tears in purple rain, but that was about it. <laughs> What a surreal experience. You can't have had many more than that. that that's got to be right up there, hasn't it? No, I mean, there's that and then winning a Sunday afternoon at my old tennis club where I won six cans of tenants. Uh, that, that sticks my mind mm. as well. But the, the, the Prince gig, yeah, is uh, a, a, uh, a and uh, I'm so sad that he's, he's now not here, but an absolute privilege to get him to see, especially to see hits, you know, to see yeah. every all of the... The, the really astounding uh, track. So, no, it was, it was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. It's got to be an absolute life highlight. So that you can, you know, money can't It was. Them. I'm so lucky, like Selig Park and these kind of things and what we get to, what we get to do. For... Do you get to do any, or watch any sport now or go to sport or, or is that? I go to Wimbledon when I can. I went last year, um, outdoor courts. I could wander around and, and watch any, any level of tennis at all. Football, I don't go to as much now with the kids. Um, but I live in Brighton, so I'd, I'd love to go to the Amex and because um, they're doing very well at the moment. But nah, not as not as much as I'd, I'd like to see. But yeah, still, uh, Wimbledon is my my annual highlight. And if you could achieve one feat in sport, what would it be? One one thing that you, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you like to do? It would be acing Andy Murray in the final of Wimbledon. <laughs> <laughs> Destroying his dreams. Point. To win. Yeah, destroying your hero's dreams. No, it would be me and Andy winning the doubles at Wimbledon. I think that would be oh. that would be amazing. But yeah, Wimbledon is always always the. Um, I mean, I've done I've done the Celtic part when I've done the football. Um, yes, I'd say I'd say winning Wimbledon would be my absolute dream. I thought you were going to say it would be to travel into a time machine to when you're twelve or whatever and not being managed to avoid that ball so you don't get hit, hit in the knackers. Maybe that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's probably what it should have been. They should, I should have been off that volley. I then scored the, the best volley of all time to get put us through to the Scottish Cup final, yeah. But nah. It's made you it. the man that you are today, Greg. That's the thing. It's character building. A laughing stock, absolutely. No. <laughs> yeah, set you on that comedy path. Yeah, I think it did. I think it did. It's been a long journey, but... Uh, did you say, did the team lose then in, in your absence? I can't remember what you did. Well, we did lose, but it wasn't in my absence. I don't think I was the, I wasn't the game changer. I remember their their team being uh, very good indeed. Excellent. Well, well thanks very much for the time. We've, we've taken an hour of yours and it's been lovely to hear. You've got an amazing number of sporting stories. Oh, well, thank you, guys. Absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed it. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Greg. And yeah, I do owe you one now, so I will, I will have to return the favour at some point. Yes, I'll need to see your diary for August, please, Mr. Hoy. <laughs> August. I think I'm away from uh, 1st to the 31st. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. New Zealand. <laughs> oh, wait, joking. Only, yeah, anytime. No, no, I'm, I'm sure we'll catch when up. when you first asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll Later, see you guys. You see you Thanks, Greg. Thank Bye. you very much. Take, Take care, mate. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.